Welcome to another episode of Tape Doesn't Lie. This is episode 50. Woo! Episode 50. All right. Yeehaw. Uh, my name is Adam Lunt, and I'm joined by Michael or Mitch Gift. I almost said Michael Gift, which is your actual name. Um, for some reason, you go by Mitch. Mitch, how you doing? Mitch is great. Michael's in a terrible mood. Uh, what what's wrong with do? Michael? Ah, uh, who knows? I just hey, made that up. I don't want to get into it. Hey, this is episode 50, though. It's kind of fun. Dude, 5 0. 5 0. Happy yeah. anniversary. Happy, not anniversary. Yeah. Uh, happy 50. 50. Happy 50. Yeah. That's the golden anniversary. Yeah. And who would have thought that we would have made it to 50? It's crazy. So, yeah. I mean, uh, when the barriers to entry are so low and our threshold <laughs> for, for losing money is so high, it was an inevitability. <laughs> the barrier for entry is so low. Uh, that is in, that is indeed the case. You literally, at this point, just need a what a, a computer and access to SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's pretty literally, low. Literally, Google how to start a podcast, and then like a bunch of thirty-year-old white dudes show up on on your computer and they tell you how to do it. Man, it's amazing, America. Hashtag. Uh, how'd you? Um, so this was not a fun uh, podcast to get prepared for, uh, which no. is unfortunately becoming a trend. Um, how uh, the TCU game this past Saturday? Okay. Another loss. You go to six and three on the season. Uh, not great considering TCU isn't really that good of a team. Right. Um, do you have any? You know, scorching hot takes to set the stage of the podcast. <laughs> oh man, do I have like I have like five thousand hot takes, but I don't know what the relevancy is, right? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of people wanting to talk like direction of the team and like where Gundy is as a person and whether you know he has enough, I don't know, arm strength to run the team or whatever. But like. <laughs> I don't know if any of that's relevant because, I mean, the season's still going on, right? Like, I love football so much. I love Oklahoma State football. We only probably have one game left. I don't think we're going to play a bowl game. Like, isn't it more fun to talk ball? they're going to play a bowl game? There's still a lot of bowl games. They're, I don't. I, I just I, – I don't know. Maybe we will. I hope so. I'm just going to pretend like we, we're not so that way I'm not disappointed if we don't. Well, this is probably that? a good – it's probably a good approach. So yeah, only one game left. It's in Waco against you know uh, uh, a Baylor team that might be kind of finding themselves a little bit, um, sure. which is unfortunate for OSU because they're kind of trending downward. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it was it was. I would say watching the TCU game live, I I just kept thinking to myself, I just want this game to end because yep. it wasn't. It just wasn't quality football on either side. You know, I think if you look at it. I mean, TCU tried their best to hand OSU the game with five turnovers. They had a missed <laughs> field goal. They had a they had, they had fumbled snaps, um, all kinds of different mistakes. And yet, it felt like OSU continued to outduel them on mistakes yeah. uh, or just lack of inspired play. So right. um, it was just a rough game to watch, and it was a even rougher game to rewatch <laughs> it's it's so. so hard it's typical osu stuff where like i get disconnected from the game and i'm like all right let's just run this one out and then we get a turnover and i'm like yeah! i'm like screaming and i'm like fist pumping and all that because we get a turnover and then you know it's three and out and we just 
business as usual. But was it bad? That the, I think it was the last um, the last fumble they had, and I remember immediately texting you guys saying I was pissed. Everyone was happy because you know they get another chance to score. I think it was two or three minutes left. And I was upset because it wasn't a scoop and score. <laughs> yeah. Is it score, bad that I'm like, it wasn't a scoop and score, so we're probably not going to score. You know, and I think that's kind of, uh, unfortunately, that kind of sets the ex- expectations of what's happening at the moment. So right. uh, I, before I we think, get into the game, though, sure. I, w- I did wanted to ask you about how mad were you in general about the producer of ESPN oh. for this particular telecast? I think there was like three instances where they literally didn't even show the play. Like one time they were panning the stadium and then like they were panning outward and then the play was going on (laughs) where you could only see like half the field and half the stands. And then obviously Brock Martin's mom, you know, talking about her cancer situation literally during a 50 yard play. Um, How excited were you about the ESPN producer who, who worked on the telecast? I can definitely tell you I was more excited than the rules guy. What that dude was the worst dude I've ever heard in my life. I just woke up from his nap. <laughs> oh my god, he was like, you know, I think I was going to stand here. We're gonna, we're gonna have to stand, uh, you know, like, uh, so I like less interested than I just did when I was talking about how I wanted the game to end. <laughs> he wanted the game to end too. For I was sure. like, oh my god, like. You know, and I mean, there was other bad calls like Dusty Dvorak's uh, enunciation of Amen Ogbong Bamiga. That was fun. Um, but like, the hey, rules, guy. You, you judging pronunciation from other people? Come on. Yeah, but that's that's really bad. That's fair. No, that's fair. But, you know, Dusty did say that he watches the games and he thinks Johnny Woods should be more involved. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he and I are already got a little beef. True, you, you guys, you guys do not see eye to eye for sure. Uh, my, uh, I have a question I wanted to ask you. Yeah, uh, you can ask me a question. I, I'm gonna try to be in the rules guy. I'll just talk like that. And, and I want you to answer the question like the rules guy, uh, <laughs> kind of like Boomhauer on on King of the Hill or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's like but Boomhauer, like 40 years later, maybe something like that. Um, so serious question, though. OK, so if if you were let's say let's rewind like four games ago. Yeah. Who would be your top five OSU players, let's say, in like the Texas game? Like if, if you said who are the five best players on the team, who mm-hmm. would they be? It'd be uh, Wallace. OK. It'd be uh, Radarius. Okay. It would be. Whew. I mean, I would probably say uh, Malcolm over Amen, but uh, okay. I could either. Those are pretty interchangeable, interchangeable. right? Interchangeable. That's fair. Uh, then I would say Jenkins. Okay. So that's four. And then my fifth, I don't know, maybe. So uh, before the Texas game. Kind of before the Texas game, it'd be hard. But after the Texas game and how he played the next three weeks, it would have been uh, Trey Sterling. Right. Okay. No. It's, so I I was thinking that Chuba would have made the top five. Okay. Um, yeah. But Chuba. I think yours your list my list would basically be in yours. Um, pretty much the same. 
but you could probably say Chuba would be in there, maybe not if he's healthy, right? I think right. most people would say Chuba is a top five player in the team, right? Yep. So I guess my point is, is that in the second half, none of those players are playing other than Malcolm Rodriguez. It's like, let's right. say, um, so you could make a, you can make a point that OSU had their five best players out of yep. the game in the second half, which is, you know, not good. Um, so I think, what was it? Gundy came out and said, like, are you upset because you didn't make the Big 12 championship or whatever? And, you know, a lot of people are upset because he said no, because we're a different team. And I think, first of all, I'm kind of like, well, you know, you vastly underperformed. Right. But at the same time, he's kind of right. I mean, this team has massive holes. I mean, it's not just those five players too. LD Brown's been out. They've had a few defensive guys that have been out um, as well. And, and not to mention the offensive line. So it's like, and especially when we're looking forward to next week, it's like, good Lord, like is, and I guess what I'm getting at is when you reestablish expectations for like what should have happened the last few weeks, um, is this team like right now, is this team more or less talented than let's say last year in mid season? Like I would probably say less. Would you? Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. I think I was thinking about this today that the difference between this year's team and some of the other teams that win 10 games and stuff was, well, the injuries, obviously. But, you know, OSU, we always lose a game we're supposed to, we should win, like right. on the field. On the field, we lost the game even though we played better. Right. And we always lose a game that we played better or that we're, you know, Better or, or I mean, we win a game where we did not outplay them and we didn't do, you know, any of that. And to me, I feel like the only difference in this year's team is that both those games were losses, right? Yeah. Texas, Texas and TCU are both losses. I think in years past, we find a way to win one of those games. And this year, you know, the game I think we should have won was the TCU game by what we did and or Texas, right? Like either of those games, I think are interchangeable in terms of games we should have won if we do one, literally one thing different. And last, you know, over the years, we always win one of those two games and then we lose the other. But this year we lost both those games. So that adds another loss to our record. So that goes from being, you know, ranked 18th, finishing third in the Big 12 to, you know, unranked, we have to pretend like Gundy doesn't care anymore, right? That's the that's the difference, right? That's the right. difference. It's a thin line. It's a very thin line. Well, I just think, you know, why I brought it up was like if you went back and look and watched the West Virginia game and the in the Iowa State game, you know, those are those are two pretty good wins, especially Iowa State, obviously. They're right. top ten in the country. And to be honest with you, like OSU was up by 10 at that, uh, you know, at one point in the, in the second half, like kind of cruising a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the style of play hasn't changed all that much. Right. Um, so I think it's a mistake for everyone to just kind of write off the injuries as like, well, you know, you need to have better depth or whatever. And I, I mean, I think that the depth of this team is pretty good, <laughs> uh, especially on defense. The fact that, Basically, potentially their two best defensive players are going down and they still first force five turnovers and give your team a chance to win. So, like, I think we shouldn't lose sight of that. And I, I'm I'm not here trying to make excuses or whatever. Like, I'm really upset with the way things have happened and progressed in the last few weeks. Um, but I think you need to keep that in perspective of 
if those five players were healthy, let's say even three of the five were healthy, um, this could be, you know, potentially a, an eight and one team right now. You know, I mean, uh, Oklahoma game, definitely not. But uh, or, or it, you know, this I guess I shouldn't say Texas because pretty much everyone was healthy for the most part, maybe other than Jake Springfield for Texas. But it could look drastically different, you know. Um, so with everything else withstanding, mm-hmm. I think if you take that team and give everyone back, it could be a, a different situation. Now, some of the frustration points still exist, even if they're playing, though, you know. So so in honor of our 50th episode, I was looking back at our first episode notes and I picked out a couple takes that I had. And I want you to rate whether they were good takes or not. And this is going to okay. be real quick. OK, <laughs> OK, good. So the first one about this. So the first one is I wrote that Radarius is a better corner than AJ Green because of his Whoa. ability because of his ability to to work in the field, uh, whereas AJ depends on the boundary. So pretty good take a few years that later. That was a pretty good take. I mean, I I don't know if that was true or not, but so, it was kind of a it, it was very forward thinking. Forward thinking, right. And so my second take that I think I probably still stand behind is that Jalen McCleskey is the best wide receiver on this team. So <laughs> and he transferred three games later. <laughs> so better than Thailand, De- definitely better than Thailand. Yeah, so, better than Thailand, and then you know better than you know, every John fans and better than every. Every fan's favorite court wide receiver, Tyler, Tyron Johnson. You know, everybody's favorite. We McCleskey's couldn't use him. Jalen yeah, McCleskey is a good player. Um, <laughs> and, you know, should absolutely be in the same discussion as, like, a Dylan Stoner. But definitely not in the same discussion as Tyler Wallace. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. So those are those are two takes. <laughs> one aged a little well, and the other one did not age as well. I wish I would have come better prepared because I don't, I don't know where my notes are for I, – I, have lost the notes for the first three episodes. I have episode four on, but I didn't come prepared. So I apologize. That's okay. Uh, but I, I have, uh, I, I wanted to bring up some, so we talked last week about offense yes. and how the structure, the infrastructure of the offense is kind of becoming, it's becoming more and more outdated. And I think there's like a perfect example of that in this game. Okay. And that's the last drive. So after the Amen fumble the last right one, where they literally go four straight plays and i don't think they gain maybe two yards right yes so at that point they basically had exhausted the entire game plan the entire playbook there was nothing right. left for them to run because they had they had basically emptied things out you can tell because it's like just the way they ran plays right. you kind of tell that like it was all and i kind of felt this way in the texas game in overtime too where it was like they didn't have when the, when the game was on the line, they didn't have go to plays that they could go to that they hadn't run three or four times earlier in the game. Right. They um, didn't have it. They didn't have a trip set where they could put Wolf underneath and get an easy twenty yards like we had earlier in the game. We didn't have another play like that that was uh, in our hip pocket. And they had. I've. I, there were three plays that I think they all they ran four times all um each so three plays 
in, in a minimum of four times each. So like that's a minimum of 12 times. I think it was more like maybe 15 total. But right. these three plays were basically just packaged in different formations. So, for example, like they'd run it out of 10 personnel and then 12 personnel. Yep. But it was the same route combination. It was just instead of a slot receiver, there's an inline attached tight end. Right. Or there's an offset tight end in the backfield. But it's the same route concept, right? Um, and those are the deep over crosser play, which is the play they ran on fourth down on in that last drive. That's the same play they ran against Texas last year. The Thailand made that ridiculous catch. Um, same play that Dylan Stoner made the long, um, like I think it was about a 22-yard, 23-yard completion. Beautiful throw by Sanders. Like a touch throw to left side. Right over his shoulder. Right, right. Yeah, that's that was a sick so play. Basically what happens is, is you get two – Two wide receivers on one side, one on the other, and they all they all run crossers. And then the most outside receivers run deep crossers, and they cross each other right in the middle of the field. And the quarterback, I guess, just kind of reads who's going where. And um, you're supposed to be able to kind of throw on the other outside of the hashes on each on, on either side, either side, right? Yeah. And then they had a mesh vertical route, a concept where they hit Stoner on the shallow crosser and he ran for like 25 yards. Mm -hmm. Um, They ran that four or five times. And then they had an outside zone play action rollout where they would, it was play action. And then they'd have the tight end underneath. They'd have another wide receiver running a crossing route over. And then there's a comeback route for Wallace on the play side. Um, And that was the one that Stoner caught out of bounds after Wallace was out of the game. Yep, exactly. And, is another play that they've run many times that's the play they ran versus baylor in 2018 on fourth down and that was also a play that tc ran back in the day and he was awesome at it because he could always hit that crossing route um i think they ran it against kansas in 2018 um and scored a touchdown on it or maybe it was missouri state i don't, I don't know anyways they ran those three plays four different times and some of them were in different formations um so I, when it comes down to it, like one question I was asking myself is, is that why in the hell would they run play action on fourth and 10, right? And the answer to that is, is that they have the flexibility to run these concepts out of different formations. But when it comes down yeah. to it, they had one route concept that was a go-to route concept, and it was only in play action. There's right. no not play action version of this play that exists in the playbook, which means that of a deep, over a crossing route concept there's really only like one play they have now they package it up a million different ways but at the end of the day it's the same play and, and that's the entire foundation of their offense <laughs> and if only uh, if only those linebackers would have bit on that fourth and ten at fake right i uh. mean and it, it's really not a big <laughs> deal because I do think that sometimes play action helps in pass protection sure. and, and stuff like that. And, and you will be surprised even on fourth and 10, like, you know, the defenders may bite on a millisecond of it, but it is stupid. It's like, what is the point of play action? And there is no point, but there's no play that, that has that route combination that doesn't include play action that they've practiced. So that's the limitation of the offense is you have 20 plays and you have, eight different formations that you can run each play in, but it's basically the same play. They're just trying to make it look differently. Right. So that's the problem with this offense is by the end of the game, when the game's on the line, they can't bring in new concepts that the team hasn't seen before in the earlier in the game to win the game. They have to empty the playbook out by the middle of the third quarter. And then 
just hope for the best and for the last quarter and a half. I think that's the limitations of the offense. So, anyways, that, those that's are my, that's my big picture offensive yeah. uh, observation. Um, do you want to go over like the stats, the offensive stats? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about offensive efficiency. Were we efficient? The answer is no. Oh. <laughs> so in the first quarter it was six for fourteen. Second quarter eight for twenty five. Eight for twenty five. The third quarter, three for 13. And I think this is kind of being a trend here that the third quarter, we're really getting smoked here the last few games. And then in the fourth quarter, eight for 23 for a total of 25 for 75, which brings us to 33%, which is the lowest number since we've started tracking offense efficiency at for Oklahoma State. Wow. So that's the lowest number in the last two years, right? Last or two have years. we been doing it three years? Uh, uh, yeah, I think I we think started doing two. it last year. So if you filter out Kansas and Texas Tech, because by the way, they had a thrilling game this weekend. <laughs> Tech <laughs> each went out sixteen to thirteen. So anyone questioning if Tech's, Tech was in the Kansas, you know, area of quality, I think that should be answered by that game. So yes. we're going to filter out Tech and Kansas. Here's the offensive efficiency number. Uh, for the games in a row. So Iowa State is 50. So it just goes down 50, 51, 44, 35, 33. I mean, it's basically just like continuing down spiral on offensive efficiency throughout the season. And I think what's happened is, is as time has gone on, it's kind of the same way as a, a game goes on. You know, the, every, the more tape you have, the more tendencies you're putting on tape and these defenses are just coming in and they're, they're more prepared. So, um, <coughs> offensive line play. Yes. Uh, is that the next one or do you have another one? I scoring zone. Scoring zone. That's right. Scoring zone in the first quarter, we scored a touchdown. Second quarter, we had a missed field goal and a made field goal. Third quarter, a missed field goal. In the fourth quarter, we had an interception and a turnover on downs. So in six, <laughs> Six trips to the scoring zone, we only scored twice. That's crazy. That's terrible. Terrible. Um, well, I would say offensive line play was about as good as I've seen. Um, I have six missed blocks total, which is the lowest, I believe, since Kansas. Yes, correct. Lowest since Kansas, which two games, uh, last two games, Texas Tech was eight, TCU was six, and Two of those six were from Logan Carter. So a total of four missed blocks by the, the offensive line. I mean, they were lights out good. I mean, that's how they were. It was great team blocking. There was communication. And it wasn't just a bunch of three-man rushes. I mean, there was there was some legit four- and five-man pressures, and they were um, really strong. I th- They did give up two QB hurries, um, one from Preston Wilson and uh, uh, one from Josh Sills. And then – or I'm sorry, two penalties – Three. Uh, which, well, by yeah. the way, the holding holding penalties were critical in the the red zone. There were three uh, actually, red zone the, penalties. Yeah. Uh, one was the, from Desmond Jackson, which I needed yeah. to notate. So three holding penalties: one by right. Sills, one by Wilson, and one by Desmond Jackson. Uh, one QB hurry uh, vacated by uh, Jake Springfield. So I mean, overall, a really strong day from the offensive line. And I think if you go look in the second half. Um, the run game just did not get going, but if you break down each individual play, 
more often than not, it's because there's a numbers disadvantage where yes. the extra defender is coming down and making the play. And that's not offensive line's fault. That's right. that's on the fact that you can't make them pay in other areas, so they're just going to key in at the line of scrimmage. And you and can't scheme. And you can't scheme for the unblocked guy to be on the wrong side of the field, et cetera. Right. And they, did a poor, they also did a poor job. And we can get into this in a minute, but like the poor job of making Spencer a running thread. God um, damn. Yes. Oh there were so many instances where uh, where the the defender is able to tee off on the running back when he should fear Spencer Sanders as a runner. Yes. He is a good runner, but they didn't have him keep the ball enough to keep, you know, until maybe the, the fourth quarter when they decided to finally um, have Spencer run some. And he had a lot of success. He, I think he converted two or three third downs based off of uh, QB keepers. So that was frustrating too, of like, if you're saying it's a seven on six situation, six blockers, seven defenders, well, maybe the QB can hold the other defender, right? Um, and it wasn't the case for the first three quarters. They didn't care because he didn't keep it. Uh, or they didn't scheme him to keep it, you know, one or the other. So um, on that note, what do you, what did you think about Spencer Sanders' performance? So I'm, I've I'm, seen a variety of opinions. Yes. So I'm, I'm frustrated with Spencer Sanders, and this is probably the first time all year I have been. And uh, I'm also frustrated with the criticism of Spencer Sanders because I think it's in the wrong area. Okay. So I'm frustrated with Spencer because his 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 pocket presence, his instinct inside the pocket is just so poor. It's driving me nuts the number of times that he should step up and he steps and he spins out or he you know, steps into the wrong place. And that's the only place a defender is. And he just like, I, I just worry that this is a skill set he doesn't possess because right. he's been doing it all year. He, he, his combination of being able to look downfield and feel what's going on in the pocket, I think is just a, a skill he doesn't have. And this is something that you would think that you know, Rete would be able to teach or like a key component to having the quarterback's coach be a dedicated coach, right? This is, this, these are things where I would hope to see him succeed more as the year progressed. And I, I'm not seeing it. And that's where I'm getting frustrated. Where I think the criticisms are wrong is people are saying he's not making the throws he needs to make. And I, I don't see that when I rewatch the games. There are missed throws. But there's a lot of good throws and a lot of on-point throws, a lot of accurate throws. It's just his pocket presence causes a chaos to the game that I don't think we can handle as a unit, obviously. What do you think? Well, I think I think you made a good point in terms of like the actual throw making. So like actually like delivering a catchable ball. Like he went, uh, well, let me give you his stats first and then I'll build off of it. So for balls that were thrown past five yards, he was eight for 23, which is not a good, not good. You know, not, not great. Usually if you're humming around 50, 52, 53%, that's probably what we want, you know, for balls. So, you know, cause these are independent of screens, uh, or easy outs and stuff like that. Right. Eight for 23, um, which I think is like uh 36 or 37 percent so that's low but have in mind too that a lot of those are i think there was five throws at the end of the game 
Um, so really, in the that was like the last drive with like 30 seconds left. So let's say, let's give him credit and say he's like eight for 19 there. Um, still, that's under what you would want, right? 182 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but only one non-catchable ball and zero sacks caused this game, by the way. Yeah. Um, which I agree with you that his pocket presence is poor. Um, which also, by the way, the, the offensive line gave up zero sacks and I believe two tackles for loss, um, which is the lowest of the season. Um, let me confirm that really quick. Uh, they had five tackles for loss, excuse me. Um, and I think uh, one or two of those is when Sanders just ran out of bounds early instead of throwing it away. So back to Sanders, though, his, his touch and accuracy in the TCU game was as good as I've ever seen it. Exactly. Um, he dropped in so many beautiful passes, like the, the, the end zone ball to Braden Johnson, it was tipped, which by the way, TCU, their coverage was, was really, really strong the entire game. Like they were on top of it. Caesar um, and have, Tomlinson are monsters, man. Yes. Uh, and I think it was Mo Rig or however you pronounce his name that tipped the Braden Johnson ball, but Sanders was dialed in accuracy wise. Um, so I think if if you're talking about like he doesn't have the ability to throw the ball, you know the arm strength, the accuracy, like put on the throws. They, I mean, his ball to Stoner was a great touch throw. Uh, his you know touchdown to, to Wallace obviously was on point. Uh, what about the play at the end of the first half to Braden Johnson of a yeah. back foot? That's a great throw. Like these are great touch throws that are dropping it in a bucket. Uh, so I think that from that aspect, he's he showed that he has the ability to make the throws now, not to the ability like a rattler where he's making all these crazy, you know, touch throws, but it's, there's skill set to build off there. Um, I think the stuff that that is frustrating that's still lingering is the pocket presence. I agree. He, he has this mindset that he's faster than everybody else. Um, which I think maybe kind of goes back to his high school days where it's like, listen, man, like, Everyone, I mean, there's a lot of people on the field that are faster than you. You're fast for a quarterback, but you can't outrun everyone, you know. So I think that kind of leads him to always want to bounce stuff outside yes. in the pocket and outside the pocket. Um, so that kind of fuels that. I think he's got to get outside of that mentality. But I also feel like that he had a few situations where he was in, like the the, the stoner pass on the crossing route. He was able to handle pressure pretty well, bounce out, find stoner for the checkdown, mm-hmm. and and he was open. There were a few cases where I thought he was better against CCU, but he's still poor in that area. Um, And there were, I think, four plays where he absolutely blew the read. Um, The first one was, there was two that I would highlight that are really, really important, which should have been touchdowns, which is the, uh, I think it ended up being like a, like a, a, a hitch route, like a comeback route, um, to Wallace on the right side, and they were on like the 25-yard line, and ended up being uh, incompletion where he made the wrong read. It's it's a clear situation where it's a cover two. It's there's three over two, right? You have two vertical routes, and you have three people guarding him with one safety. The safety shades one way, you throw the other, right? It's pretty basic, and the safety shaded to Wallace, and he still threw to Wallace. He missed Jelani Woods up the Woods. seam yeah, for, Woods. for a touchdown. Um, and then the other yeah, one was, I mean, what, what do we, what do we got? Like a 12% ca- chance he catches it. <laughs> I'm going to, he had, he had <laughs> about a two yard, 
He had about a two-yard separation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a hard time because because Jelani hit him with the hezzy, uh, to quote Mark Davis. Mark Davies, who was awesome, by the way, in the game. But uh, (laughs) hit him with the hezzy, which was the funniest juke move I've ever seen in my entire life. And then all of a sudden. It was sick. Just put him in a blender. (laughs) but the yeah, other sorry, one, what was the other one? Highlight the other one was the the over you know where he threw in the back of the end zone to Wallace mm, where it was too where late. It was too late. And yeah. This one was incredibly infuriating because OSU has been running the Mills concept for like ten years now, yeah. and it's basically an in cutting route on the inside and then a post on the outside. And this is a quarters beater. And I remember watching this play and I'm like, I'm gonna look through the eyes of the quarterback. What does he see? And I'm looking at it, and, and TCU commonly runs cover six, which if anyone that doesn't know cover six, it's cover four on what quarters on one side and cover two on the other. Generally, cover two is going to be on the side with one wide receiver. Quarters is going to be on the side with two. And, and in this look, case, and it looks have, like there's three safeties. It looks like there's three safeties. That's the easiest way to tell. So in this particular case, it looks like quarters. So you should trigger saying, I have Mills. I, this looks like quarters. I'm going to try to figure out early on if this is quarters, then I know I can get Wallace on the post. Mm-hmm. And what happens is... So you should look the, to the right. Right. You should look <laughs> to the right. And what happens is is he, they hike the ball, and he immediately pans to the left for like two seconds, maybe three seconds. Mm-hmm. And not only is Stoner not open, there's a safety over the top. So he... <laughs> There's a safety over the top on the left, and then by the right. time he comes right, he sees Wallace is wide open, but you're on the 25-yard line. You only have so much space. you yeah. got to know that the time is click. You know, it's 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 ticking. Uh, so that was really frustrating. I agree. Outside of those four plays, I thought he played a good game. Like, his stats weren't great, but, like, the, the, the throws were there. He was better against TCU than he was in previous games. Uh, he's making progress. And I feel like that the offensive game plan tremendously held him up. I mean, there was a few instances where Wallace was schemed open and some stuff was there. But for the most part, like for the fourth down play, uh, fourth and 10, no one was open. TCU covered it perfectly. Right. There's no play to be made there. And like, um, and like the one he got intercepted, uh, I think is a lot where people get that he doesn't make the throws he needs to get, right? Because you say, how can you overthrow a six foot 14 guy that's got a vertical of 400 inches and blah, blah, blah. But really his throwing window isn't, isn't his whole body, right? It's up. It's high. It's like seven and a half to, you know, seven foot to eight foot is his throwing window or seven foot to seven foot six is his throwing window. It's not like he has that whole body to throw to, right? It has to be a high throw. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a linebacker right in front of him. So you have to be able to clear the linebacker and you have to drop it in. Now, was it about maybe six, eight inches too high? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think think basically that throw needs to be a little faster and it needs to be about, you know, eight, 12 inches lower. And that's Mm -hmm. a touchdown problem, you know? Um, And that was a pretty good... Uh, play call i like well after that happened i wasn't upset at all because i thought it was i thought it was a good play call um if anything i want to see it more and i thought it was really well defended by tcu i thought they they did a nice job um so when stuff like that happens i'm just kind of like you know what it's a good play 
Um, uh, I think that they should do more of that, and I think they should quit blowing it in the red zone for the rest of the game previous to that. Um, what is really the, my takeaway from that play? I have no issues with that play. Yeah, man, trying to get um, what's the ball. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Hey, in that particular case, <laughs> I, don't, Woods I agree. Is, is like I think a lot of people are like, you know, throw the fade to him or throw him on all these elaborate routes, like checkdowns and plays to the flat, and then those oh, okay. types of plays are perfect for him because right. he has that huge catch radius. And he can go up and you can kind of put it high just like they tried to do and didn't work out. But, um, you know, I think those are the types of ways you need to leverage Jelani Woods. I agree. So, I, I, I will say that I think you can scheme Jelani open. Yep. And that's one way. It's just, it, yeah, it's just one didn't way. Yeah. It, if I, the, what I would say to that play is score a freaking touchdown when you get a turnover <laughs> and don't have to rely on botching a, uh, you know, one play, you know, I mean, they get five turnovers and I think did they, they, they only get a, scored, they, they didn't they, get a first down. No, they, yeah, they, they had a missed field goal on one was, a, was a result of that. And then the, yeah, they only scored on the fumble touchdown. So let me ask you this. So now that we're, we're, you know, sometime into talking about the offense quarterback play was pretty good with some mm-hmm. limitations. Offensive line play was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so where where are the problems? Like why right. why is this offense so limited? And it's like you can only blame the players so much. Yep. It's at some point you got to look at the fact that the foundation of this offense is flawed and it's out of date, and they have to do something about it. I agree. Um, so, um, you know, I I don't think the only thing I would say in addition to that would be that I think Charlie Dickey's done an amazing job. Um, I think. He's got a patchwork offensive line. They're communicating well. Um, I think he deserves a raise. And I also think Casey Dunn deserves more time, too. Like, I don't think – I'm not the type of guy to, like, say, let's get unload everything. Like, they need a real offseason. They need a spring game. Yep. They need all that stuff. But they can't go into 2021 with the same type of mentality. It's just not going to work. So I agree. Um, do you have any other offensive uh, notes that you wanted to mention other than Tom nah. Walsh being awesome? No, Tyler Wallace's, Wallace is such a beast, and you know, I I haven't heard anything about the injury. Do you know anything? But you know, if that was the last game I see him play, man, it was so fun to watch him play. Yeah, I tip my cap to him. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But if I were him, I wouldn't play. I mean, I don't know if you. Uh, I mean, it's just there's a lot to. I mean, especially since he's got a history of ACL between yeah. him, his brother, um, the fact that. You know, he's already banged up a little bit. I mean, you know, it just seems like there's a lot more risk involved than than reward. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to tell him what to do. Uh, you know, I, I when I was younger, I thought you should have to play every game because of teams. And then I got a little older and I thought, well, you should always sit out because you got to look after you and you got to make that money. Right. But now that I'm older still, I'm more into the yeah, man, three, these guys are. They're young kids still, but they're 21. They can make their own decision. So I hope he makes whatever's best for him and his family. That's what people always say. (laughs) (laughs) Got to do what's best for him and his family. If if he doesn't, though, you know, that means that you're going into the next game, potentially, especially if Sterling's out, that, you know, you're missing your your five best players for a game, uh, which is cool. So um, (laughs) on uh, defense, Defense. kind of switching gears. Um, missed tackles. 
How many times does that rip move work? But anyways, let's talk missed tackles first. We'll talk stats first. All right, missed miss tackles. Two in the first, one in the second, two in the third, two in the fourth. So only seven missed tackles this game. Pretty good it's game. Really good, really good game, missed tackles-wise. Which is what um, kind of what we would suspect, right? I think four of them were against Duggan, which we've talked about last week, how they're, you know, their skill guys are decent skill guys, but they're not make you miss highlight kind of guys. No, not really. You know, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I think Barlow and Evans are pretty good, but they didn't blow me away. The, the um, wide receiver, uh, you know, both Davis and Johnson are good players, but neither or Davis is kind of a make you miss type guy, but he really didn't do that a lot. And he was, you know, he's the one that had the 71 yard bomb. Yeah. Um, so it really wasn't, uh, I, I mean, I think if you look at to the, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but no one in the run game really had a whole lot of success. Um, I mean, Barlow and Evans, 18 carries 74 yards. Um, so what is that? Like right at four yards of four carry, 4.1, yeah. you know? So, I mean, that was pretty much balled up for the most part. Um, so what about a uh, third down or third and fourth down money down? So first quarter three for six. Second quarter, two for four. Third quarter, three for six. Fourth quarter, one for three. So nine for 19. So they still stayed pretty consistent. I mean, obviously in the last four games, the they haven't kept their pace that they... I mean, the crazy pace they had in the four, first four games were like, you knew it wasn't going to continue. But it's gone up, but it still hasn't necessarily like... I mean, nine for 19 on third and fourth down is not bad. Uh, eight yeah. for 21 last week. Um, even against OU, they were six for 14. Um, so they've still been pretty good and situationally for sure. Um, and then uh, obviously turnovers forced five, which is Insane. five is, is the same amount of turnovers they forced in the previous four games combined. <laughs> I, I've never seen that rip move work so much. I don't, I, I, I don't know how it did. I um, like la- literally last week I was mad at Christian Holmes because he does that every time instead of tackle. And I'm like, Christian, tackle the dude. You're not that good of a tackler to be able to focus on the But you don't the tell ball. that to you don't tell that to Eamon. No, Eamon can do whatever the hell he wants. He can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> I still for the think- rest of his career. Like he doesn't have to force another fumble for the rest of his career, even in the NFL, they're like, All right, man, just keep doing your thing. <laughs> yeah no i mean for the record i still think christian holmes shouldn't do that rip move but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he hasn't earned it yet uh, but uh pressure rate so i think this is interesting the pressure rate was 15 percent um and just as a reminder pressure rate is allocating five or more defenders to the uh the pass rush um or you know committing those to the run before the, the snap and so i think I'm going to, I'm going to take this down like a little bit of a rabbit hole, but remember when we were talking about like recruiting, like all positions aren't created equal, right? Where everyone's like, we got the five-star running back or we got the, you know, this and that. I'm like, give me a five-star cornerback. Give me a five-star edge player. Give me a five-star tackle. Give me a five-star quarterback. I don't really care about the others. Right. So once I believe Rodarius Williams got hurt, towards the end of the K-State game. Um, I can't remember exactly, but somewhere around there, right? And that's kind of when the defense started to kind of 
fall off its hinges was not in the K-State game, but basically starting with OU, right? The last three games. Um, they haven't fallen off the wagon, but it hasn't been as effective. And once Rodarius Williams basically went out or he was banged up, Jim Knowles basically lost all of his confidence to be able to bring pressure. And right. if you look at the pressure rate from the last four games, K-State was 45%, which is basically around what we, you normally see in this defense. And that's what that made them special is applying the pressure and getting to the quarterback, tackling the running back for loss, all that, right? So 45% K-State. OU is 35%. Texas Tech is 12%. And TCU is 15 So, I mean, that's that is like just drop. a big drop. So, basically, what this defense has turned into is really just a, a conservative drop-back defense. And the problem is it's kind of like what Iowa State does with the exception of, like, a few exotic blitzes. But they're not as multiple as Iowa State. Like, this is more of a simplistic defense with a, with a heavy um, pressure package. And the problem with once you take away the pressure, well, you're really basic defense on the back eight now. So that's why a lot of teams are, you know, being able to take advantage of that to a certain extent. And that's because of one player that Rodarius Williams went out. And, you know, before this, Trey Sterling was healthy. Everyone was pretty good on the defensive side of the ball in terms of injuries. Rodarius Williams goes out and your entire defense trajectory changes from one player. So when, when I say that positions aren't created equal, that's why I mean that is because if you can get a lockdown cornerback in place, it enables you to do so many things defensively. And if you lose that, then it's like, you know, it heads downhill. So, um, which I think, you know, good news for Oklahoma state fans is I really think they've recruited well on the defensive side of the ball. They've got a lot of guys coming in that kind of fit that mold of, you know, the, the positions that are high priority. Um, but I don't think Javar Muhammad was ready for the big 12 physical play on the corners. I feel like every, every play he was like pass interference, pass interference. (laughs) (laughs) He was not used to being pushed so much by the wide receiver. One poor, I mean, he's what five ten, and he goes up against Quint Johnson in the red zone. It's like, he was like six, five. It's like, good luck, dude. You know, true freshman, 5'10 cornerback versus monster wide receiver. That's going to be a tough matchup. And so, he didn't exactly uh, hug the sideline on the one where he, the guy where he's where Johnson stepped out of bounds, but he got I lucky. Think, honestly, too, Christian Holmes, I think, is healthy. So that means yep. Muhammad's playing over him. If that gives you any type of indication. Of, and I don't think that was a bad move. I don't either. I mean, I think Christian Holmes hasn't played well. Yeah. So he's been found uh, wanted. One thing I will say is I was super impressed by by Jarek uh, Bernard Converse. Like, I yes. thought he played so well, and he is really turning the corner. And the same with Thomas Harper. Um, those two guys, and I think the, the, the secondary has been beat up a little bit here recently, but those two guys are really turning it on, and we need them to, you know, because the especially with Rodarius going out, young guys coming in, and then if Trey Sterling's out, those guys have to step up in addition to guys like Tanner McAllister. Who, Tanner McAllister, I think, played some cornerback. Um, so they're, I mean, they're basically trying to fill the hole, and it's, you know, I don't know how well it's going to go. <laughs> For no, Rodarius, he leaves a huge hole. So um, 
do you think it's fair? Like, what what do you think of the defensive performance as a whole? Like, is there? Well, any- I mean, that's it. A hundred percent comes down to showing, like, you know, there's been a lot of grief that a lot of people point out that Gundy was saying that you know we gave up too many big plays. But man, would you? So let's say it this way. Let's say we're giving you three touchdowns. The defense is going to give up three touchdowns no matter what. Would you give up another touchdown theoretically for two turnovers? Um, I, it depends on where the turnovers are, I sure. guess. But, um, but you don't. The way I look that. at it, though, if you because think to about me, it, I think two turnovers equal touchdown, right? So for every touch, every two turnovers you get, you can give up another touchdown. Right. In my idea, I think that's of going for those. I think that's probably fair, just in a general level. But if you think about it, they gave up 20 – basically, they gave up four touchdowns, right? Right. Um, but they really gave up three touchdowns because they scored a touchdown <laughs> themselves. That's what, so that was really, going to be my next point. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. – and, and it's not just your hypothetical. Like, literally, they scored the touchdown. Yeah. And they've scored a defensive touchdown for what? Like, the uh, three out of the last four games, you know? So, although the trend has been going downward with – the uh, the pressure rate and all that stuff. They've been finding other ways to make an impact. I mean, they they made the big play against K State. They they had the pick six against Texas Tech, and now a fumble return. It's just three straight games, or three out of four games with a with a, a defensive touchdown. So although they they've probably been about a touchdown, or let's say seven to ten points worse mm-hmm. in the last three out of the last four games than they were previous to that. But they've made up for it by a, by a defensive touchdown. So maybe it's almost a situation where they've been about equal, you know. Um, right. So if you give I don't up know if four, that's fair, but. right? So back to my theoretical, right? We gave up, they gave up four touchdowns. If you had add up the four fumbles, and you say, okay, that equals two touchdowns. And then you, like you said, the the pick, well, the three fumbles and a pick, and then the fourth one was returned for a touchdown. So that's three touchdowns that they recovered. So theoretically, you need your offense to score ten points that you didn't directly right. create. I will say though, I mean, I think Gundy is really poor at wording things. <laughs> well, I'm not um, mad at Gundy I, about it. I I think people are. <laughs> no, and I, I well, I think that's that's kind of what I was getting at was people are people are mad because they take what he what he's saying at the surface level, and I think you kind of have to dig in deep a little bit sometimes what he says about it's not always completely apparent about what he's trying to say, I think is what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. He said that I think they gave up a few, um, like they, they gave up a few plays and that was the difference. And I think if you think about it, like TCU is able to make plays down the field defensively, like on the Braden Johnson play, um, yeah. on a few Wallace deep balls. Yeah. Um, there was probably four plays, chunk plays that OSU didn't capitalize on offensively because of TCU defensive back play. Right. Correct. Whereas on the flip side, you know, T- TCU made two huge plays pretty much on what I call 500 balls, <laughs> right. which is like, and you're in the, you ever play the game 500 where you just throw the ball up and it's like a Hail Mary. Yeah. And you yell a um, hundred points or 50 yeah, points. So yeah, yeah, that's, they had a had a 59 yard throw back on their own goal line um, mm-hmm. that was 100% a 500 ball, and then the 71 yard touchdown, 
you know, where basically you just kind of chunk it up and hope for the best. It's not one of those things where it's like an accurate pass on the line. You just throw it up. And OSU guys, the first one was Rodarius Williams, and he's clearly visibly hurt. And then the second one was Colby Harvell Peel, who just kind of got turned around a little bit. Well, and, and they gave up those plays, and they lost those plays. Mm-hmm. And those plays, to Gundy's point, could have been the difference between the game. Um, so I think if you if you dig a little bit deeper, I get what he's saying, but I think not everyone's going to do that. And I think it would be better just to say, listen, defense fought hard. We didn't make enough plays on offense. Like I think that would have been a better message. But I think anyways. no matter what would have said, he would have said they would have crucified him, right? Because there's no right. answers, right? Like oh, no if he would have, if he would have just said, you know what? it all falls on me. The offense really screwed up. And, you know, a lot of times I, you know, I, I do this. They would have been like, well, I'm tired of just you taking blame. You can take blame all day. Why don't you make a change? Right? Like there's no, answer. I mean, there's no right answer. I mean, there's that's no right answer. Your, your, your comment is right. There's no right answer. It's going to get picked apart. People are mad and I don't blame them. No. Um, I don't think that you should, should not TCU. be mad. Um, but at the same time, I think, yeah, you should be TCU. No doubt about it. Um, like Oklahoma State should be TCU. TCU is a very dysfunctional team, and somehow OSU found a way to be more dysfunctional. I don't know how, um, and I would not blame the players. I think you look at the – and I, I think if you read into Coach Speak, he keeps talking about these lo- after these losses about how the effort was really good, and I really think that's kind of Coach Speak for, hey, the pl- this is not the player's fault, this is the coach's fault, without actually saying it's the coach's fault. Because one thing that's important is signing days and eight days. So coming out, coaches screwed up, and the you know the coach the game plan was shit, and all this other stuff. It's not exactly the best for recruiting. So yeah. you know I I think you want to be keep it in house when you when you go to the player meetings. Let them know, guys, this one's on us. It was a poor game plan. You guys played your ass off. Um, and then when you go to the media, give them the package response, um, just so you know that you're not throwing the players under the bus. So, um, but I, I my I didn't necessarily have like a ton of hardcore defensive uh, observations other than that Bernard Converse and Harper were playing really well. Trey Sterling was so good in the first half. So good. I mean, he was like lights out. And then the fact that, you know, he went out in the second half was a big reason why they were able to get the rush game going. I mean, look at the rush stats from the first half to second half. And part of that was because they adapted a little bit, started doing some more QB runs. But Sterling's such a huge part of the run game uh, defense that there was a big hole there. Um, so that was a big reason why. I think Duggan actually ended up with 100 yards rushing. So uh, anyways, I, I don't really have any other points other than just the fact that Knowles, you know, I think he's a little bit more reluctant to bring the pressure in, which is you know, had a cascading effect on the defense. So, right. But you know, maybe he has that reluctance for a reason, right? <laughs> like the, the no back question. end's not holding up, then you can't do it. You can't. Well, run. and I think you've got to do like a, a risk reward evaluation of, you know, let's say that we lost a half a second or something like that with Rodarius. Like we can, we can hold up on the back end a half second less now. Less. Yeah. You know, does that mean that we'll get home? on the blitz, you know, and you got to kind of play that, those scenarios out. And if you can't, then you got to play differently. You got to adapt. It's kind of the opposite of what happened last year. I don't know if you remember, but they started out really conservative. And then what happened is, is they hit a point to where they started getting comfortable with their coverage. 
And that's when they started to bring the pressure, and that's when the defense really hit its stride. So it's like inverted of last year. So it's kind of interesting to look at. So. No, I I agree. I think I think you know you like the Harvell Pill play you mentioned. I think it was eight or almost nine seconds from the snap of the ball till the ball is caught. Now a lot of that time spending the balls in the air, but I mean you expect Harvell Pill back there to defend him for nine seconds like what yeah, can you do no way especially against he's um uh darius davis is one of their fastest players yeah against a basically a strong safety um there's no way like there's no way he's gonna hold up yeah. so you you gotta get you gotta sack him you gotta push him to the other side because pro walls is open on the other side too <laughs> uh so you gotta do something to disrupt that for sure yeah so uh do you want to talk to baylor yeah let's talk baylor so looks they're like they're on the what? Line. They're on like n- their ninth running back. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Well, join the club. I mean, yeah, uh, join the club I mean, is right. Everyone's on their ninth back. You know, I think for the most part, I think Baylor's pretty depleted. Uh, same way Oklahoma State is. So, uh, but they played tough against Oklahoma. Watched the whole game in detail. They looked um, good. You know, they did. They Ish. looked better, and they've been in a lot of games too. I mean. Baylor has, you know, they're two and six, but if you kind of break down the way they've been playing, they've been in a lot of games. You know, they can't really score, but they play really good defense and they, they play tough. They play situational offense, I think would be the best way to put it of like, they're able to kind of like piece together points somehow. Um, So they lost West Virginia by six, Texas by 11, TCU by 10. Iowa State by seven, Texas Tech by one. They beat K State by one. By one. They lost to OU by thirteen. So it looks like is OU the only double-digit loss they've had of Texas as well. So I mean they've they've been competitive, I guess, and they're getting better. So I think if this game actually would have happened back, what was it October, beginning of October, this probably is an OSU win by ten plus. Easy. Uh, but now it's like. You know, oh, she's trending down. They're potentially trending up. Yeah. Now it gets interesting. You know. Yeah, exactly the wrong time to play them. Uh, yeah. So, and, and Charlie Brewer is kind of an interesting case because, you know, we know he's super limited in some areas, but he's still a good runner. Um, mm-hmm. he still can make intermediate throws reasonably well. Um, he actually made a few throws in the OU game that kind of surprised me. Better throws than I've seen from him in a while. So, so for one game, you get one game. Let's say, would you rather have Max or Charlie for one game? Max, no question. Okay, that's interesting. I think that wouldn't have been my answer at the beginning of the year, but I think I'm trending more towards that now. I mean, it would have been my definite. I mean, I I rank Brewer, I think seven, and Max five in the league. So, uh, I think Max hasn't really progressed like I thought he would. Um, he's still a little, a little like he lacks a little polish, but yeah. his mobility is better than I thought it was. Way better. And I think he's just kind of a gamer. Like he's just like he's got like this swag to him a little bit. Um, like a Sam Ellinger. Yeah, like he's he's he makes plays, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like th- there was one conversion he had. Uh, I think it was on third down where like he. 
he went left and he stepped up and then he went right and he faked like he was going to run and then tossed it right at the end for like a six yard gain. And he was like, Jesus, like we provided so much pressure on that play, defended it perfectly. And he was still able to maneuver his way around. And actually Charlie Brewer did this last year in Stillwater where he kind of did that, where he ran around and dumped off some plays to hasty, I think, and had like a 60 yard pass last year. So Brewers made some plays like that in the past um, as well. So, you know, kind of compare the two. So, um, but Br- Baylor has good skill guys, although they're banged up a little bit like everyone else's, they've still got good receivers. Um, offensive line play isn't great and their defense is humming. I mean, they, they played OU tougher than I think anyone all yep. season. I agree. hundred percent. So and OU had a buy, so they were, you know, rested. Yeah. So, I mean, that's. The fact of OSU trending so far downward offensively yes. and then coming into this game against a Baylor team that's really confident defensively um, is not a good equation for OSU. <laughs> now, the other side of the ball, that'll be interesting. You know, Baylor offense versus OSU defense, probably um, maybe a little bit more of a favorable matchup for OSU. Um, but on the other side of the ball, I mean, it's going to be tough sled to move the ball, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, say, you look OSU-Baylor... Yeah, OSU Baylor for 10 years has been can either side stop the other team enough to win, and now it's going to be can either side score enough to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's true. I mean, if you if you think about it, Baylor's super limited ver- vertically, but they're a little bit better um, intermediate-wise. Like, they run a lot of, like, short intermediate crossing routes and, and all that stuff to get by because they have to because Brewer's so mm-hmm. limited, whereas – and that, that leaves you exposed offensively. Like, you can sit on routes, and you can play aggressive at the line of scrimmage. And OSU is kind of different, but it's kind of the same, where you can still play aggressive at the line of scrimmage, but it's because they're not able to, like, they don't have good <laughs> route concepts in general. Um, it's basically just a bunch of mixed match of screens and go balls where you know if you test your outside coverage you can be aggressive against the run if you stop the run generally you stop oklahoma state you know so especially one without wallace right no question and oklahoma state's gonna have to come into this game build a game plan without i mean would you say that they're without let's say ld brown doesn't play and wallace doesn't play and hubbard doesn't play those are their three best playmakers on offense easy problem so you're without your three best playmakers on a makeshift offensive line and a scheme that is obviously been figured out by the rest of the league against a good defense. Man. So that's a lot of tough variables. Yeah, that doesn't sound sound like a good way to get some Ws. I think if – I mean, there's no reason why they should not spend the entire week and install a package of completely get rid of the tight ends. Yes. And just run 10 personnel and then five wide. And you can even take the same, take the same concepts that you did before, you know, take your same install and all that, but just implement it into more of a 10 or five wide concept um, and shake some things up because Spencer's shown he's capable. It's where he's most comfortable. He's not comfortable with everyone consolidated in where the coverage is hard to diagnose, spread them out get it to where you have to show your cards defensively so Spencer can get some of those reads pre-snap. Um, I think that's the best case. And if they can come and do that, I don't buy into the wide receiver thing. Like Wallace is gone. 
and so we don't have any playmakers. Like that pisses me off even. Like you can't what? tell me that Tay Martin can't make plays or D Anderson can't make plays or Landon Wolf, you can't give him seven or eight catches and he can't make an impact. Like I just don't believe it. I mean, what have you seen from Tay and D that makes you think that I mean, I There's saw Tay there. Martin have 600 yards receiving last year for Washington State. <laughs> I mean, D. Anderson is huge. Um, put in Langston uh-huh. Anderson. Hell, put in Owens. Um, like, all of these guys are capable. And I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to be as good as Wallace by any means, but you, I, I'm, I have a hard time believing the fact that they're completely incapable of making an impact. I just I, I don't I think believe there's, I just think there's a lot of difference between being a, a decent wide receiver that can be schemed open and then what Tylen Wallace does, which is run down the field and make a catch over a defender, which is what we ask him to do in our offense. I don't think right. you can do the same. I don't think you can put Tay or D in that position where you're not setting them up to succeed and they're going to you know, make plays because they're a wide receiver. Which is the exact problem. I mean, the problem is the whole offense is set up to – to you know, run the ball and put your playmakers in favorable matchups so they can win the matchups, right? But not scheme them open. Not scheme. We're not a scheme open team. Whereas other teams like, like Washington example, State, <laughs> yeah, could be more of a scheme open type situation. Whereas OSU is more of a favorable matchup team. So it's it's a good point by you, and I think that's why they don't play the backups because they don't have trust that they can go win contested matchups down the field, or they can win one on one coverage um, down you know sideline or out routes or slants um, because they're not getting schemed open. They're they're asked to win one on one matchups. I guess yeah. is, is the best way to put it. So what do you, uh, so I've got the line is currently a uh, show is five and a half. Yep. Opened uh, at Vegas four. Insider. Opened at four. four. Mm-hmm. And then over under opened at five, 50 and a half. Now it's 49. Um, what do you, what do you think? What's your prediction? I don't know. You, you really bummed me out with, you know, <laughs> reality here, right? Because you're a hundred percent correct that, if we don't run the ball, we're not going to win. That's just 100% it. And you can't tell me the defensive-minded Baylor coach doesn't know that, right? You, you, we don't have the – it doesn't matter. We got Tylen Wallace <laughs> card to play. We don't have, you know – oh, man. But, I, you know, screw it. It's the last game of the year. I'm having fun. I love football. I, you know <laughs> – the worst are year you, in are human you dancing history. Dancing around, talking yourself into something, or what? No, nah, it's it's the worst. What's happening right in now? Human history, <laughs> and you know it's 2020. Go pokes! It's 30 to 21. We we win. It, it's fun. We win the last game of the year. We just enough wins for the Gundy lovers like me to joke about how to point out that we finished third for in the the third out of the last four years. And, you know, enough suck to for the people that hate Gundy to point out that our team's going in the wrong direction. So we're going to win, and I'm going to love it. So uh, it's the perfect result for everyone to hate each other? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> you know, in a, a more div- the country's never been more divided. And the key issue is whether you love Gundy or you just kind of <laughs> like him. <laughs> or if you want to see him get fired immediately. Uh, so... Uh, I okay, so thirty to twenty-one. Um, so you're going to take the over by a, a half a point, barely, uh, and then OSU to cover. 
Um, I am going to, this may be really surprising, but I'm going to pick Baylor to win 24 to 20. Um, it's not surprising I, at all. I think, and this is the first time I've picked OSU to lose all season, by the way. So maybe <laughs> it'll have like a, like an alter effect where, you know, cause I haven't done very well. You're, you're doing better than I am. I picked him to beat OU and Texas yeah. and TCU. So, um, I just think that if the team that shows up, I, I will say the one thing that will be better is they weren't prepared to not play without Tylen Wallace. So in the second half, that hurt things. Whereas now they have a full week to go say, hey, we probably don't have Wallace. We probably don't have Hubbard or Brown. And again, I don't know if any of that's true. I'm just assuming, kind of preparing for the worst. Um, so I think that that will help them because they know that they'll, they're going to have to do something because Baylor's going to come in and basically just know that they can, if they can stop the run, they'll win the game. So I have some you know, faith in the coaching staff to come in and say, we've got to come and do something, you know? Sure. Um, I just don't know if it's going to be enough. I mean, Baylor's solid. I mean, this defense is sound. They, they're aggressive. You know, the offensive line is going to have a, quite a challenge in front of them as well. And then I think Brewer's just the type that he can he can do just enough to get it done, um, you know. So that's and also too, you know, they they run some of those underneath things, and they've got playmakers that can take it to the house, you know. If if you make a missed tackle or something like that, and the OSU defense has had a tendency this year to kind of blow a, one or two assignments a game to give up long plays. So I think if Baylor can hit, you know, let's say two long plays, that might be enough to win the game. So I'll go Baylor 24-20, and I hope I'm wrong. So, Yeah, no, well, um, hopefully you're wrong. <laughs> yes. Thank you for repeating that. Um, just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, well, anyways, this will be the shortest podcast we've done in a little bit. I think that's all I've got, other if, unless you have anything else to add. So. No, I mean, no, I'm, I had fun. You know, it was, it, it was good talking to you, Adam. And you know, are you are you ending the podcast because you you dictate when the podcast ends? I yeah, guess I, I've I've decided the podcast is complete. So all right, well let's, that let's say good our goodbyes. <laughs> well, hope for a, a, a better performance this week, and I guess we'll talk to you uh, later on. So all right, all right, later, later man. man.